0: Welcome to App Talk with Uptick. Each week, we dive into the nitty-gritty of how to grow mobile apps and games. We speak to industry experts about the specific strategies, tools, and tactics they use to find success, and we keep you up to date with emerging news and and trends in the ever-changing mobile app ecosystem. My name is Xander Argosa, and I'm a growth lead here at Uptick, and joining me today are...
1: Warren, uh, co-founder at Uptick. And... Robert um, Garfinkel, uh, Director of
2: User Acquisition at Seller Network.
0: Awesome. Thanks for joining us, Robert.
2: Here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to kick it off, we, our first segment is Industry Insights, where we shed some light on what's going on in the mobile app industry. Warren, you got a couple of interesting articles this week. Do you want to kick it off?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, let's see, where should we start? Um, so. I think you know we have every week. I think we say we hope it's the last week we have to talk about uh, the changes with with iOS, and right. it's it's never that last week. So this week it actually hit. I mean, first of all, I mean you guys both do UA. How how are you how are you doing? How are you hanging in there before we go into the actual old news story? Uh,
2: I'm I'm surprisingly. Uh, I mean the sky hasn't fallen, so uh, doing okay so far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it's sort of a big nothing sandwich. I think we sort of needed it if we were reflecting on it, but like our iOS campaigns are still basically the same as they were a week ago. I think the reason for that is the adoption isn't. Super widespread yet, and I expect you know our measure ROAS to just go down from this point, basically in a straight line. Um, but so far hasn't happened. It's going to be a little, a bit of a slow burn.
1: Yeah, for sure. So as, as the drama unfolds, um, I think this this was an interesting story that was on the radar today. So the headline is uh, Apple is expanding its ad business on the cusp of ATC enforcement.
0: Surprising no one. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so uh, just to read a little blurb here. Um, uh, sources sell Financial Times that Apple plans to expand its App Store business with a new ad slot appearing in the suggested apps section of the store search page. Um, since this article came out, like that that, that ad has actually gone live. Um, have you guys, uh, Robert, are you an iOS user or Android these days? iOS user. iOS. And so have you guys seen this placement live?
2: Uh, not in the wild, no. Um, but I'm aware of, of it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know they, they sort of like suggested tab it, it appears that it's basically you know just the same sort of thing that they already do as you know games you might like which right. is you know already tailored to your download history
1: right um,
0: so now you get to pay for it
2: yeah now you, now they're they're introducing the payola aspect of it um which uh, was i think i i kind of always anticipated
1: right for sure and uh xander i want your thoughts in depth here because i know you do apple search work but um I mean, before sort of just sort of framing like why we're talking about this. So there's a couple of there's a couple of camps here. Um, the you know the official uh, word from 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 uh, well I'd say like the, the, the off the record word from folks I've spoken to at Apple is like there's there's not any sort of you know mysterious like aggressive play they're making into ad ad monetization. Like this is uh, I think they, they would position that this is unrelated. Um, we'll Leave it to the audience if they if they buy that. Uh, and then on the extreme other end, we have, you know, a lot of the UA industry with tinfoil hats saying like, ah, see, this is all tied to Apple's master plan of going heavy in advertising as they force out competitors like Facebook and Google and limit their uh, ability. So, yeah, I mean, maybe uh, Xander going, going to you here for a bit, you know, you work in Apple search. Uh, what do you think of this move? What do you think of the conspiracy theory? Uh, where, where, where do you think the truth is here?
0: Uh, um, I think broadly two things could be true, right? I think, you know, they, you know, they, they may be saying this is unrelated, um, but they've signaled for a long time, years now that they want to grow their services business and advertising is obviously a giant business and they've been running it profitably as a segment of the services component of their business for a while. So it doesn't really surprise me. Um, And if you just sort of looked at the way they were positioning themselves in the lead up to this, I mean, it's clear they want to control more of the user journey from acquisition to through content and through lifecycle. So, I mean, I think two things can be true they may this might not be like actively aggressive but it's certainly passively aggressive and i actually expect this trend to continue uh, across more and more products over time
1: yeah i, I guess my thoughts in short are, i don't feel like apple cares enough about advertising to make that move i think they could if they want but i think it's sort of like they they see it as a very ancillary revenue stream in the bigger picture of of what they own um i mean i think they'll inevitably extend their tentacles more there but um I wouldn't be surprised if this is all we kind of see as far as movement um i think i'm in the minority there as far as like their expansion in the near term but uh we'll see
2: i I, I think that there's a fundamental sort of adoption problem with apple search ads where it it feels um a little bit for a lot of advertisers and uh, that i've spoken with and and myself included basically it it feels like you're going to pay for nothing you're you're in fact paying really exorbitant CPMs for traffic that you largely kind of garner naturally if, sure. if you're allocating that those resources to other channels. And this this move seems like kind of an emulation of UAC in some ways, where like obviously the placement is going to be device, you know, user-driven, right? It's it's not going to be a keyword since it happens before the search actually happens. And therefore it has to be programmatic and, and so how do you price that like what is the you know their their pricing model has inflated cpms for for a long time and it, i just don't see it as yes it's profitable to, to them but the adoption from actual performance marketers is i think at this point relatively lackluster
0: yeah, I mean, the place that I see people using this aggressively, I mean, I totally agree on the branded stuff, like going after covering your own brand terms seems like ridiculous. And you kind of, they try and pitch it as defensive, which is just, I'd hate as a framing. Um, some people go super, super aggressively after competitor brands. And I think. Maybe they're being profitable. I mean, like if you look, here's a great example. If you uh, look up Twitter and Apple uh, in, the app, in the app store, you get TikTok as the number one placement. It's like, hmm, they're, they're hemorrhaging money to do that steal. And I think there probably are some marketers who have, you know, really, really valuable users who can go and steal competitor keywords and back out it profitably. But I mean, broadly, I agree with most of
2: your statements. And I think that what really invalidates that sort of like aggressive um, posturing that you can take on, on Apple search as is really the the way that they... Um, sort of rank your keyword relative to like right. the rank re- the relevancy score or affinity score or whatever you, they they happen to be calling it now, or or if that is still kind of like a public facing thing, I'm not entirely certain. But you know that if if I was ha- ha- if I happened to be working in the back end, I would basically just be adjusting down TikTok's relevancy relative to Twitter in order to generate more revenue it's it seems very much like a gameable system is what i'm trying to trying to say yeah
0: and i'm sure they're gaming it and i think you know the people who are maybe not modeling their their ltv super well or just don't give a crap because they're just going for growth um, are the ones paying
1: up for it hence TikTok. yeah
2: I, well, I do think it does work in certain verticals news maybe although that's a very small subset yeah.
1: so we have another news item in here kind of related to the the privacy changes this week um Xander, do you want to touch on the story yeah,
0: for sure. So you know, we promised last week we would stop talking about uh, ATT, and we absolutely lied. Uh, so the, my article is uh, "How Top 100 Grossing Games Show Their ATT Prompt" by Global Games Forum. It's an interesting article. It breaks down the top 100 games by revenue in the App Annie Store and how they're showing their prompt. Uh, so of that, a few of the highlights of the findings uh, of the 142 showed a prompt and 58 didn't, which is surprising to me. I thought you'd have a higher adoption rate, but I'm guessing this number will probably increase over time. Of all the apps showed, um, every single one showed the prompt on the initial launch, which was a little bit, there was some initial talks about delaying that as a way of getting a higher conversion rate. Um, There was about, there was no, none of the apps uh, were bribing their users to uh, allow tracking, which is something that people talked about a lot, but Apple Came down a pretty harsh stance, saying they they wouldn't allow it, so that didn't surprise me a lot. And then of the total people who showed the prompt, about twenty percent showed a pre-prompt. Um, yeah, and those are sort of the highlights. There's actually it's actually a really interesting article. We'll post it in the show link. I have, definitely recommend checking it out. But have you have either of you guys um, taken a deep dive into prompts or and have any thoughts here?
2: I've I've seen some of the um, the sort of like listicle type format things so of people uh, indexing the prompts. I think what you're really seeing there, in this kind of early adopter top 100 grossing sort of way, is is the, the sort of natural conservative approach that that the the incumbent um, you know sources are, are going to have towards the market. They're taking a very conservative approach. You know, if they're if they have updated recently, which you know means that they have the ATT prompt for very like front and center. They're putting it more towards the beginning. They're not. Doing a lot of you know pre prompting, they're not doing the the sort of um, you know uh, leading users towards uh, a, an expected outcome. A lot of a lot of them, I think, a lot of these t- same companies deal a lot with tech debt. You know the the, the in the existing top one hundred grossing is a very well established uh, like multi year uh, sort of like list of, of of games. Some of them probably are. Um, Difficult to to kind of like update on a routine basis. And so are probably not actually compliant right at this point, but will become compliant in, in the coming weeks and months. That's a
1: good point. Yeah. So I, I know a lot of developers are in the midst of sorting this out. So we'll go ahead and link um, this article in the podcast notes. Um, I think there's some good examples there that people can look at. Um, one thing, kind of echoing some of what Robert said, like these are going to be some of the most closely monitored apps, although I think, um, I mean, it's, it's been confusing for a lot of developers as far as like what will and won't get accepted. I do know, um, looking over this list, uh, just from like some, I, I guess, insider conversations that um, at least one of these apps tried several other ways that got rejected without, not know- without knowing why it got rejected before this current one got through. So it is a little trial and error, but it does seem like, yeah, um, being conservative and definitely the uh, incentivizing in any way is um, I think being regulated pretty pretty harshly.
0: Makes sense, yeah. Cool, um, any other thoughts here? All right, No, know, you had uh, one final article. We're going for three this week.
1: Yeah, for sure. So we got a double Robert special here as far as uh, relevance. Um, so uh, this, this article, the headline is, um, it's from, from Coindesk, Asian video game publisher Nexon buys 100 million in Bitcoin. So uh, just for a couple notes on the story, uh, the purchase represents less than 2% of Nexon's total cash equivalents on hand. Um, and then uh, CEO Owen Mahoney said, our purchase of Bitcoin reflects a disciplined strategy for protecting shareholder value and for maintaining the purchasing power of our cash assets. And he added, uh, given the current economic environment, his firm believes Bitcoin offers long-term stability and liquidity while also maintaining the value of its cash for future investments. So yeah, Robert's here today, you know, his, his company as we'll go into in the deep dive there, kind of at the, um, the, the overlap of cryptocurrency and gaming. So I thought this would be a good story to get his thoughts. And and Robert also uh, was my colleague. We both worked at Nexon previously. So let's let's get your hot take here first, Robert. Do you think I mean, I think
2: it's a smart move. Yeah. Um, I think that institutional investment in, in the cryptocurrency space is, is just going to get more common. I think that basically in the, the next 10, 20 years, we're going to see kind of a I mean, it's not controversial, maybe, or maybe it is, I don't really know, to say that that um, decentralization is kind of coming to, as far as like currencies go. The US dollar is, is not as strong as it ever was. And like, if you're just holding huge reserves of cash, like what exactly do you hold it in? So I think that, you know, this move which seems very much like tesla's recent move which seems very much like a number of major hedge funds recent moves in similar capacities just as another signal in kind of faith that bitcoin is a reservoir of value um and and so i think that when it comes to to this specific story. Um, it's another kind of thing that shows the savvy business operation of, of, of Nexon, which I, I, I never really doubted. They've, they've maintained profitable business lines in games for decades at this point.
1: Yeah, they always seem to find a way to be profitable, even in um, years where we might've thought that wouldn't have ended up that way. So definitely some savvy there. Um, yeah, I mean, Nexon makes a lot of great games, but there's also this hundred million. Let's just say is probably a better investment than some of the titles they could have uh, <laughs> invested on. You know, I think they Sorry. they went. Um, I we're less close to it these days, obviously, but there was a period where um, they were going pretty rampant with just the number of titles uh, that they were pushing at a large scale, and some were good plays, some were were less strong. So I think the diversification um, is is helpful. Because most most games fail, um, most games shouldn't be marketed at a massive scale. So if they're able to hedge that a bit and uh, kill some of the games that look less promising in soft launch, and you know, get some growth through this investment, I think it's a, a good play. Xander, any thoughts?
0: Yeah, sort of two different thoughts. I mean, one, it's pretty damning that just like fiac- like a a pretty damning. Way of framing the the future fiat currency that these big companies like this is safer than the U.S. dollar or whatever you know whatever cash equivalents they're holding. It's pretty. It's just kind of a wild place that we're in now. And you're right, uh, Robert. This is not. They're not the first. Right. This is like a common position to be taken now, which is just a crazy place the world is going. The other thing I was thinking about is these guys just have too much freaking money. Because if you look back a couple of weeks ago, they were investing in like blue chip gaming companies, right? They bought a big piece of Bandai and like was it Sega? I can't. I can't remember. There's like four or five um different companies they just put poured a bunch of money into it. it was like a couple hundred million dollars, right? When
2: when you get into the kind of the top 10 publisher space in the gaming everything is about diversification. It, right. it comes about, you know, uh trying to to spread your assets out to more places to find more talent pools. That's what it really comes down to once you are kind of up there. So
0: yeah, totally agreed.
1: It's just wild. Yeah.
0: Anyway, those are my thoughts.
1: Awesome. Uh, should we move on to our main topic, or any other anything else in the news that we want to touch on?
0: Unless you got something, Robert, I'm good.
1: Cool. Let's yeah. uh, let's meet Robert. Get to know him a little better.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So, Robert, thanks for joining us. Uh, just to start off, let's talk couple couple part question. Um, give us a little bit of background about yourself, and then what is Seller Networks, and what do you do there?
2: Sure. So, um, Robert Garfinkel, I lead the user acquisition and marketing efforts at. Um, a relatively early startup that operates in the, the real money gaming space um, and and more broadly, the blockchain space called Seller Network. Um, in my, my past, as Warren just mentioned, we worked together at Nexon for a number of years. Before that, I was also involved with NetMarvel and Gameloft in a company called uh, Elex, which makes uh, Clash of Kings. And, and I wasn't there when they were putting that out, though I was there before. Um, and, and so I've been in gaming since about 2012, 2011, somewhere in there. And, um, and yeah, pretty much focused in on, on the user acquisition space. Uh, for a long time, since before MMPs were a thing. And so I'm, I'm not as shaken in this kind of iOS 14.5 world as, as some might be. Uh, but going back to Seller Network, what we are fundamentally is uh, a, a series of, of blockchain um, efforts to uh, verify fairness and in, in like player versus player engagement. Um, and we do this. Through a couple of different ways, we have a uh, like a white label, more or less um, SDK that you can implement into your game that facilitates monetization, and it does that through asynchronous multiplayer. So you can set up, um, you know, matching boards between two players, and then uh, have them compete on skill, and have the the winner get a payout like a reward, um, and this is all done on, on the blockchain obviously so I, I lead the publishing efforts and right now we we have kind of like a, a little a basket approach on the iOS side we have a game that has kind of like a a, a showcase of a bunch of different games that you can play
1: so so Robert in in summary there's a, a couple of Different key aspects of sellers' business, like there, in some senses, you guys are both a, a more traditional uh, game uh, publisher and developer, uh, mm-hmm. but then you also have this play of this uh, monetization platform built on on the blockchain. Correct? Yeah,
2: so the, the monetization platform is really the core um, uh, of what I I work on. The, the games themselves are are basically kind of use cases for for the um, the SDK itself. Um, more broadly, the game also has, I'm sorry, the company seller also has some, some applications in the, the decentralized finance space. Um, we just released a product called Layer 2 Finance that uh, operates, um, that you can like, invest uh, USDC or DAI in and have it uh, accrue APY. So there's, there's other uh, avenues of the business outside of this, but basically like the core of our company DNA is in the blockchain.
1: Gotcha. So you guys are, are getting involved in the DeFi space a little bit as That's well, it sounds like.
2: Interesting.
0: Yeah. So a few directions we can go from here. I'm gonna latch on to the gaming part up front and then we can talk about some of the other stuff. Probably let Warren lean on that because he's way more deep down the crypto rabbit hole than I am. Um I guess my question is like, so on the SDK side, are you competitive with like skills in those types of companies?
2: Yeah, effectively. Those those um, you know, skill based real money gaming is an application of uh, a specific sort of um uh gaming that skills operates in Pocket 7 games. There's a couple other kind of core competitors in this capacity. But as far as I'm aware, no one else is really using um a, a sort of blockchain protocol to verify the veracity of okay. their games. I don't I don't know specifically um how that operates. And then because of the way that blockchain operates, um, we have a very kind of specific ELO. Players, there's like a specific sort of uh, ranking or, or skill category that that it kind of comes through over time. So our matchmaking is something that is, um, I think, a competitive advantage in a lot of ways. Or, um, but yeah, we are operating in basically the same space, um, and we're of course uh, a number of years younger than than like us skills. So
0: yeah, that's interesting. I was um, throwing a lot of shade last week, saying when are we going to have useful blockchain applications, and it's like sounds like one. So.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic about it. Of course, uh, you know the, the main customer use case for the, for this type of gaming right now is in casino social, which is not something that I'm as familiar with. I've, I come from more of a mid-core gaming background. Um, and I'm hoping that over the course of, of, of time, you know moving forward, we're going to start seeing more broad use cases in out, outside of the casino social genre in, in this. Um, but it, it really remains to be seen.
1: Yeah, I really. Question for both of you guys, because I know Xander, you've focused on the space too. But why why do we see that these head-to-head um, platforms with some sort of um, uh, real money, real money betting element, why are they all focused on very casual or casino-based games? Is it just because that those are the games that are easier to bring to market?
2: Well, it, it's a um, it's a user intent kind of mm-hmm. question. It's
1: um, it's not that they're
2: necessarily easier to make. I mean, although they kind of are in some senses. Uh, it's more well-trodden uh, uh, you know, game design concepts. But it's much more about the user preferences. Right, users who, who are operating in kind of the the, the to, to to make the direct analogy to like the competitive esports environment, users who are into you know Overwatch or Call of Duty or League of Legends or Apex, they're yeah. PC gamers. They're not operating on a, a real money basis. They're operating in a in a kind of different space almost entirely. Um, where whereas uh, when it comes to um, the you know user preferences haven't really kind of come up to to meet um this this new capability that is in the market so that's why i think these these companies generally skew towards casino social because the users are the users for casino social already have the intent to uh wager money basically.
1: right now i guess that makes sense yeah when you think about more traditional esports i think the driving factor for for most is not the financial aspect exactly yeah, yes.
0: agreed so I actually think this is a huge opportunity. Um, and I think that there's going to be games that are doing exactly what we're describing, which with a mid, more mid-core, hardcore competitive, like esports scene, but then actually layering real money betting on top of it. I don't think anyone's doing this right now. I think someone should do it. I have a lot of thoughts there. And I think that there, someone will make a lot, a lot of money doing exactly that. And um, I've thought about this quite a bit um, just thinking about game design. And I think that you can, Approach it from a couple of different directions and without giving away too many of the ideas here. I mean, I'm going to, never mind. I'm going to give them away. Basically, you can have people <laughs> bet. Um, if you have like an esports layer, though, like an actual esports competitive, interesting, hardcore game, um, you can have people bet on themselves, but then you could also have those be streamed live and you could have other people bet on them. So I think there's a huge opportunity there. I um, thought about that a lot, maybe conversation for a different time, but yeah, I think yeah. that someone will make a lot of money in this space.
2: In, in particular, with that specific avenue of thought, there, there are some other considerations. Basically, there's an exception in in the way that, um, this is built around skill-based gaming. So basically you can kind of like put up, uh, a, a table sort of stake, and then you can win a pot, um, in a skill-based environment, but it's not exactly the same when you're kind of like betting on, a, on a sports team. It's a little bit of a different, um, sort of specific, uh, set of regulations. So I don't know right. all about that necessarily, but I, what I can say is that the, the sort of, as you mentioned, and I've heard it before, this sort of like idea that you can create a streaming platform or something that allows you to bet on your esports. Uh, th- there are probably other complications in that that make it somewhat difficult. Yeah,
0: I'm not it's, saying it's easy, but uh, DraftKings exists, and also sure. this this type of stuff that you're doing exists, and it's not crazy to find a marriage on the line.
1: Robert, you don't have to count, comment on this, but I can. It, it sounds like sellers' legal uh, department <laughs> might be one of the least fun to work in between like all the considerations for uh, betting skill-based.
2: I mean, of course, uh, there are lots of concerns in in this, but basically, like, the, the emphasis, I think, is in the correct place. Yeah, um, which is on fairness, right? So, like, right. the idea is here to to kind of defend consumer interest, and that sure. is fundamentally
1: what um, gets
2: missed by a lot of big
1: legal departments. For sure, and to be clear, I'm not being critical of the business model; just that there's a lot of gray area or like emerging legal uh, areas of of focus in in those those overlapping areas of work that that seller is working on. So it's going to be interesting to watch as the company evolves. Absolutely. Um, so
0: when, sort of back up a little bit. Um, you talked about how the sort of SDK and the platform is a core part of the business of the seller business. And I want to talk a little bit about what that means from a marketing and growth marketing user acquisition perspective. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, how this monetization is different, how your company's monetization is different than a typical gaming company and what that means for your user acquisition and growth strategy.
2: So the single largest um, difference that, you know, then branches out into a whole bunch of like second order sort of consequences is that we do not um, utilize the standard iap Um, we don't use in-app purchases we uh, operate our own payment facilitation and we have like a very specific little carve out in the apple policies um, for that which is that they don't want to touch real money gaming and interesting uh, and so um that is is kind of like the core aspect of what makes it different so you know in terms of how that actually shows up to me as an advertiser like all of my revenue is in net um, because there is because you know all of the processing fees is kind of handled.
1: Yeah, that's that's huge. I mean I, I really want to like draw a circle around like the advantage of that. So essentially like any of uh, a lot of your competition, you know you're you're keeping you know a uh, 100 pennies on the dollar where they're only keeping 70. Um, because mm-hmm. of the fees that are paid to the the, the App Store and Play Store, so mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize that, Robert. That's a huge competitive advantage that you guys can have.
2: Sure, but I mean, also there's there's a further complication, right? So um, the way that the game works is that it's player versus player, and that and so purchases, um, insofar as like deposits into the game, are not necessarily revenue to me. Um, those are um, balances in a wallet. You know, in insofar as it, it we're f- following from the blockchain and crypto space, this is a, a pretty consistent
1: through right. And, and Robert, you guys have your own token, right?
2: We do, um, although we don't use it in, in, in.
1: That's not used in that. Okay, got and I, don't, I
2: can't really speak to to how that operates. Um, it's, it's a separate line of business, um, and so. Uh, when, when a user plays a game, they, they wager a certain amount and then there's a pot that gets paid out. And so revenue to me is based on like frequency of individual engagement with the player versus player. Right, and right. it's a little bit diffuse because the players kind of like, you know, for a $1 game, like a $1 pot, each player puts in 60 cents. And so kind of effectively to me, each game of that is like a 20 cent sort of thing. Right. And so there's kind of like a, a more complicated sort of layer of, um, engagement, um, in, in the data as well. Okay.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So I've, uh, you know, I've worked with some people who've worked a lot with skills and it sounds like this piece of it at least is, is basically the exact business model that skills utilizes. I actually have the math that you did is exactly the math that you, used. so that's just an interesting thing. Um, from my perspective, I didn't realize that that's what you guys are doing. Exactly. Um, Warren, do you have uh want to go lead us next?
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, playing off of that, um, I mean, for for anyone who hasn't met Robert, like he's he's considered just like you know one of the kind of old school masters of, of UA, and uh, also just very nimble in how he adapts. But I'd love to see when I heard you were taking this role, Robert. I'm I'm really excited to kind of check in and see like how you've had how have you had to evolve your UA strategy uh, for the kind of portfolio that you're managing now versus more traditional um, gaming portfolios that you've managed in the past that are more powered by you know traditional IEP or traditional ad revenue.
2: So I mean. Um... There's, there's a kind of myriad set of, of unique challenges. Um, you know, the, like I mentioned, the emphasis on post-install engagement is something that is a little bit unique. Um, but more broadly, the creative approach is something that I haven't actually really dealt with before. So you know, in this space, um, it's not dominated by uh, those terrible um, uh, playwrights um, ads uh it's the oh, only like walking that doesn't yeah. isn't the pull the pin ad yeah format uh the only genre remaining that doesn't have just like isn't littered with that all over the place just um,
1: wait,
2: yeah just wait yeah um and uh and so what you know one thing that that we find is that just the the, the appeals that people want the way that people the, the unique selling positions that we have to present to people is are, are quite different than what um what they would be in in some of the more traditional or midcore genres. So, you know, one thing that we do have is that we have kind of a, a single app on iOS that has a bunch of games within it, right? So it has this kind of showcasey element. And so, one thing that we think about a lot is filling content pools, filling, you know, users into different um, specific uh, games within the the overall app experience. And, and Robert,
1: for for the listeners, what is what is that app called? Oh, the app is called Cash Clash Games. So,
2: we uh, we went very straight and direct to the point. With you know what app. you're getting. Um, yeah, you know what you're getting. Uh, so, so you know, there's there's been a number of different um, sort of games in there. We have we have stuff like you know the word matching sort of search stuff. We have uh, bingo, solitaire uh, Majum. we've had a uh, like made in one that was my favorite, but it wasn't all that popular. So it got moved at some point. And then there's always kind of like rotating games coming in Now We have quite a, I think a pretty robust content.
1: Uh, and, and Robert, when you guys think about user value at seller, are you more thinking about, um, what that user value is across, uh, potentially multiple apps at a user level rather than at a, uh, game. You know, it's a little, um, it's a little early in the, the company's lifespan to be thinking
2: a lot about something like an IDFV, um, mm-hmm. you know, but we are basically viewing users, um, we do have a unified uh, backend I a mean, unified account. Yeah. So, you know, users that play um, across the different kind of like standalone experiences uh, can log into their account and be, have access to their wallet, you know, in in kind of whatever game they want to go into. But over the course of time, we've actually shifted more towards uh, favoring the, the tower approach rather than the, um, where, where we have the, the single app that is really the unifying experience right. Um, right. For, for everything. And then if you, if you want to you know, go into the, the, like the bingo experience, we have Dubcash, um, which is another app of ours that you can go and, and play and it's a marginally better like user experience if what you're into and really interested in is, in, is bingo.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think you know, regardless of if it's multiple games within one app or cross app, it seems like once you bring players into the economy, there's a lot of incentive to stay within that economy. So you may not have to, you know, uh, have the uphill battle of like reacquiring the user for each game that you, uh, each new game that comes out, right?
0: Yeah. Quick question here. So if if I'm on the SDK in my game, and mm-hmm. I use it, um, is that also tied back to the same wallet as your core games?
2: Yeah, it's a it's a single unified backend. Also, okay. there's other monetization um, solutions that are available within that framework as well. We can do things like turn on or off uh, ad like rewarded videos, turn on or off offer wall. Um, there's it. It's kind of like a single SDK backend right. solution for monetization for games. So if if that's something that people are looking for, uh, you know, there's a whole array of developers out there that are looking for kind of this this type of um, you know
1: gotcha and and robert we know you, you you guys have um both your first party apps and then the platform um does the marketing work you oversee are you are you touching both aspects of that and is d- um, it, does the strategy differ
2: i, I am touching both aspects mm-hmm. there are some um th- there are kind of like diverse arrays of partnerships mm-hmm. that we we can take you know and, when sorry, I say that- maybe
1: maybe just to be clear for for those a little further removed um so it's part of part of the service for if if you integrate the the um, the seller SDK is that you can also utilize sellers uh, marketing marketing services to scale your app.
2: All of those things are part of a negotiation mm-hmm. process that kind of happens on a on a case by case basis. But you know the 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 general benefit of of joining the platform and, and going on to the the main game is that we're kind of doing ongoing user acquisition for the main game all the time. So you know there's there are market there's marketing support in that capacity. as as' fair to say. But it, mm-hmm. it it does depend. Some we we do have some standalone games on platform that we um, have varying levels of support for in, in terms of like user acquisition. Sometimes we don't directly touch it. Sometimes the the companies have existing infrastructure. So,
0: and is it a comparable split to like Apple? Like, what is the if you don't mind me asking, what is the typical uh, relationship you have with your publishers or with your games uh-huh. that, you're, that you're using your SDK?
2: That one, uh, I think that it's, it's not dissimilar from, from the Apple split, but it's, you know, what happened, what is the, fundamentally it's, it's kind of a different relationship, I I guess you would say. Right. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a white label approach basically to an SDK solution that provides monetization as well as a bunch of capabilities around, um, you know, other publisher level services. So, um, I can't really speak to the specifics. of- I'm Sure, varies a bit but by public. Like it's, life. It, it, it's variable, you know, yeah. on a case by case basis. But right. um, it's not a flat thirty percent. I can tell you that. That's
1: okay. Yeah,
0: yeah. Interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe you know, just because we can't not talk about it, let's why don't we touch on um, you know the the iOS fourteen point five changes a little bit more in depth? And I'm just curious, Robert. Um, I mean, people are sick of hearing the industry talk about how they're adapting. For this or not adapting, but you guys have a pretty unique business model, and specifically, are you guys facing any unique either challenges or opportunities in how you adapt for the privacy changes with iOS fourteen point five?
2: Yeah, I mean, like the benefit of so this game, this product launched in June of uh, twenty twenty, um, and the uh, the team behind it, the my the, the founding team at Seller and, and my my direct manager, a, a very smart guy, uh, Doctor Modon. He, um, he. They, everybody kind of like knew that Apple was going to deprecate the IDFA at this point. So, in terms of how the game was set up and how our back end is set up, um, there's not fundamentally kind of like a scramble um, for for you know changes to process. Um, what it what this represents for us is a lot more moving uh, towards uh, sort of internal data sets, moving away from. You know, leveraging, over-leveraging external, da- you know, data partners, moving more towards uh, understanding user-level engagement and kind of like stepping away from device-level engagement. You know, on the user acquisition side, we'll always be trying to mitigate um, CPI inflation because that's, you know, just a never-ending um, whack-a-mole game, trying to kind of keep CPIs in balance and keep, you know, the, uh, the volume at, at an acceptable rate, but there's like a uh, there's a challenge in sort of deduplication. You
1: know, there's Sorry. a lot of
2: existing users who re-download over time, or who you know exist in um, more than one device, and uh, and so the 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 challenge for us as we step into this new more privacy centric way is is verifying not only that we're compliant with the the law you know there are only certain states where um, real money gaming is allowed we do need you know user location to verify that um for legal purposes and then we do need people's email to register an account and so like we're moving further and further towards um first party data you know and and further and further away from uh leveraging third party um you know Profiling tools like, you know, what Facebook does and things like this. So I think as time moves on, we'll see that as a trend within the industry. Um, But for us, uh, the the sort of unique challenge was kind of built into the core product, I would say.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you described that because this is another proof point in my longstanding theory that this is just going to benefit people with resources and screw over everyone else. And it's like, if you can build an internal tech stack to track, uh, you know, user level data, uh, it gives you a huge advantage and small developers who can't are going to be hosed. Uh, so it's interesting to hear that again. I mean, we hear this over and over again.
1: Um, yeah, that's that's a great point, Xander. Like that's a theme in all these changes, the barrier of entry of doing uh, functional Um, good, good performance-based marketing has gotten so much higher. Yeah. So the rich are going to get richer.
0: Okay. So sort, sort of wrapping up, um, a couple of sort of abstract questions here, not abstract, but you take it a lot of different ways. I think broadly we were curious about how do you view the role of blockchain and cryptocurrency in the future of mobile? And you know, how does it play a role in being able to mitigate revenue that you have to pay out to the platforms? And I guess like those uh, are two different questions. I guess st- yeah. So start with whichever you prefer. You
2: know, the uh, the the question of kind of how blockchain can factor in. I'm I'm very optimistic that blockchain represents a lot of uh, trust in the in moving into the future. Basically, like there's there's a lot of we're operating in a in a environment where truth and fiction have become really blurred. I don't know if, if you've been living through the last several years of uh, <laughs> of the U.S.
1: I was mostly hiding. Uh,
2: <laughs> but the, the one thing that that fundamentally blockchain provides that that most other platforms do not it is the ledger. You know, there's the right. the ability to kind of like track something all the way through to the very beginning of its creation, and that. I think will have broader application in gaming as time moves on, especially in in regards to competitive gameplay, and especially in regards to esports. Now, how that specifically expresses itself is a little bit of a remains to be seen. I think that I'm not alone in the industry trying to kind of push forward on this idea um, of blockchain, as we mentioned, with our competitors, um, and and there are more than just uh, you know the the, the core competitors. Um, the operating just on the blockchain space there, there are a lot number of sort of like cryptocurrency exchanges and things like this that are gaining a lot of mind share. Um, a lot of relevance, you know, there was just the um, Coinbase IPO just a couple of weeks ago, um, what we're seeing by like writ large, I think is um, kind of like maybe third wave globalization, where, you know, first wave was almost entirely industrially based, second wave was almost entirely commerce based. And now third wave, I think, is almost entirely going to be finance based, and moving away from these sort of like sovereign um, operations with when it comes to the way that we think about how our money is is kept, and how we retain value long term, and how we invest. Um, Robert, I, I got it. I, Oh, yeah, go ahead.
1: Go ahead. Oh, um, no, it's I was just yeah. going to say, do you do you see a part of part of this evolution um, from sellers' perspective? I mean, is there a role that NFTs have in this? I mean, that seems like another area of obviously uh, with a lot of. At this of point,
2: it's, it's a it's a topic of conversation, mm-hmm. um, and and NFTs are are fairly uh, fascinating um, as a as a subject. But uh, where we sit right now, we're not trying to create kind of like unique content tokens. We're we're trying to kind of create. Um, a layer that allows for scaling on in in like a tr- a, a full truth environment, right? So yeah, like, that makes uh, sense on, on the blockchain. So it's a little bit of a different um appeal. But that being said, I, I'm the the founding team of seller, I think, are a bunch of very uh bright people that come from the blockchain space. And yeah. I, I I wouldn't be surprised uh, if, you know, we had something at some point.
1: Sure. And I'm sure there's a lot of brainstorming, but the, the obvious place seems like types of trophies, right. Um, that can be maybe even functional in some way, like, you know, if you could have a trophy that could actually be staked, uh, for, or something in the future. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's very blue ocean as far as the role that NFTs can, I, I've come full, uh, 180 on, on my view of NFTs in the last few weeks. Um, you can okay. just keep imagining more and more use cases. I'm still I,
2: mean, I think that the you know the the sort of acceptability of it I think that we're going to start to see NFTs kind of um become both digital and analog where you know there was this sort of like idea right. that was in vogue uh, mostly because of like the infomercial phase of the the 90s on TV where like the certificate of authenticity for this like proof print from the mint or whatever it's kind of like that was like NFT 1.0 maybe yeah um, and, and I think that we're, we're going to get more um, digital analog crossover in, in that space, particularly because people want, you know, art to go with their art, uh, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay.
0: Well, really interesting stuff. Thank you so much for talking to us about this. Is there anything else specifically related to these topics that we haven't touched on that you want to call up before we wrap up?
2: Um, no, not, not at this point.
1: Cool. Warren, any other thoughts here? No, just uh, this is this is a really uh, interesting interview, t- uh, Robert. We got to touch on a lot of topics that I think um, we don't get to touch on with other people in the game development space. So really excited to see the future of Seller um, uh, with bold ideas like this. You know, th- they either tend to be wildly successful or cash and burn. Uh, obviously, we hope it's the former for you and the team. Okay. Um, but it's going to be really exciting to see how how things evolve. Um, if people want to learn more about either Seller or um, r- reach out to you in any way, what's the best way to get in touch? Um, I would
2: say that you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'll um, change my settings so that it uh, allows for the third, third connection.
0: Beware of the uptick deluge. No, I'm just joking. Um, okay, cool. Well, let's move on to our last segment, uh, App of the Week. Uh, Robert, did you bring an app this week?
2: Oh, yes. I uh, So I recently uh, got a new phone. I got the 12 mini and um in setting it up i discovered widgets as a thing and like Fun. you guys are on video but not everybody is and i'm just going to bring this up so i have this like widget board specifically all based on one single app it's called and i'm going to make sure to get this right because there's another one that's aggressive and wants mindshare, share but this is a better app it's called uh keto app like keto diet tracker uh, you can find it at Keto, K-E-T-O dot A-P-P. It's like made, the, the developer of it is like literally somebody's name. Okay, cool. Steve. Um, yeah, well, it, it's a Russian name. Uh, I don't, uh, I Obviously. Can't, um, say it. But what it does is it has a, a barcode um, like scanner for me to input um, what I'm eating into this diet tracker. And it has a fasting um, like tracker as well as a water intake tracker and um, a bunch of like favorites that I can select. And basically um, I've been on I've been on fairly rigorous keto for like over a year and this is the single best solution that I have possibly found towards tracking all of the myriad things that you need to find um, and be able to do because so many of these trackers, they basically don't function as intended. This one has a massive database of, of stuff for me to to go in and, and find. So if I'm looking for a specific thing that I'm eating, it's it's usually in there. And that to me is like night and day differences. And then, then the widgets was just kind of like the icing on the cake, where now I have like one whole page on my iPhone, just dedicated to kind of like planning out my meals and my intermittent fasting and my um, and making sure that I'm drinking water. And that just feels like much better use of like a, an iPhone page than if it was just filled with, never-ending accruing notifications from a billion apps. Yeah, that's kind
0: of interesting. So does it link in with the Apple health ecosystem and like help you track your movement and other stuff like that across from like um, food sort of like I full life cycle?
2: Anyway. I'm also kind of sick, broadly speaking, of Apple um, saying that they respect my privacy and then tracking <laughs> my location everywhere I go and doing and like telling me I'm not sleeping enough. I'm kind of sick of, of that like hypocrisy. Um, sure. Like, I know that, like, I'm supposed to because they're Apple, trust them, but I don't. You
1: don't like your watch reminding you to breathe?
2: Yeah, no, I don't, uh, I don't own a watch, uh, and I don't, and it's the only Apple product I, I
1: have no intention of. Ever okay. Buying. That's that's yeah. my pet peeve. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm aware I need to breathe. You don't have to keep reminding me. Yeah. Well,
0: so I, I don't use Apple health a lot, but I did. I do like do hikes a lot. And so I, I, it is really actually useful for like, oh, have I like, how much have I gone today? And it, the sleeping stuff I kind of ignore, but for like, like when I do, I do long walks and for that piece of that kind of like, and I was just sort of curious if there was a full circle, which is something that I, again, I've thought about a lot, creepy as hell, I don't know if I'm gonna like succumb and go in for that direction at some point, but I haven't yet um, more in yeah, thoughts here. Cause I, I have a really good, if not, I have a good transition. You go ahead go ahead.
2: Oh, sorry. I just wanted to kind of like hit the nail on um, just like repeat kind of the, the stance that it's mostly just that I, I view Apple like messaging versus their you know, actual user experience as being kind of distasteful. And so I, I, I do a lot of my like exercise tracking within apps environments too. I just don't use the health right. thing um, because I think it's a little bit of an overreach, you know, sure. Lot. Yeah. So I guess the I, question I'm, is I'm a Russian guy with my data. I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think it's the question is at some point, is there going to be enough disparate data that they're actually unifying in some useful way that it becomes valuable enough that you give it to them and we'll, we'll see. It's, I don't think it's there yet.
2: I'm not entirely certain that, that, um, they would share it with us. I mean, like they would share that level of, uh, you know, I don't know, but even then I'm, I'm kind of dubious on it because of their outward messaging.
1: I, I think know. that's very fair. Awesome. So yeah, um, no, I was just gonna say good, good pick, Robert, and yeah, I think that's a good segue to your your app this week, Sandra, right? It is, yeah. So I have a two part uh, app this week.
0: I'm only gonna tell you about one of them this week. So, um, uh, if you think about that meme of like the guy like thinking and then like the brain exp- expanding and the mind exploding, um, we're gonna get like, halfway down that meme this week. So, if I do juicy. a lot of, I, I do a lot of hiking um, and sort of just like outdoor exploration in general. I kind of love that stuff. And so if we think about apps that help you you know, track where you're going outside and finding cool trails and that sort of stuff. Um, like Google Maps being like the little guy who's like just basically starting to think that my app, AllTrails, is like the mid-core point where like the brain starts to expand. So AllTrails is a great app. It basically indexes uh, via user-generated content, also trails all over at least the United States. I use it quite a bit to find um, trails to go, go hike. It gives you um, distances. It gives you altitudes. Uh, it also gives you, uh, how popular the trails are so we can sort of plan out an outdoor trip, uh, beforehand. Um, I find it really useful. It can also, it has a tracking functionality. I don't use it a ton, but you can use that. Um, but I really love it. It's been, I've been using it for about a year, a ton during COVID. So great, great app. Highly recommend it. Have you, you guys used it?
2: Yeah, I, I use it. I pay them. Um, and, uh, I, I use the, the tracking functionality. Um, one thing that I like about it is that if you go off trail, it kind of like tells you it's like, uh. Are you are you sure? <laughs> right. And I, I kind of like that because it's not always entirely clear. Like if you tell it kind of what trail you're you're going on and you take a wrong turn, it'll it'll kind of like try to warn you about that. Right. Um, I also really like the the elevation like projections and totally. all those sorts of things. Um, I, I think that that app in particular does a good job. The only challenge that I find with it is discoverability. Basically, like the filtering is because it's all UGC. There's a whole bunch of kind of like um, Schlock, I guess is the word.
0: Totally, yeah. And people do a good job of rating generally. I think generally it's pretty good. Like you can, if it's a bad rated trail, it's probably not great. So there is some amount of checking and balancing there. But yeah.
1: No, that's, a, that's a great pick, Xander. I mean, uh, the, to, to, touching on both of you guys, this week, I last weekend, we went hiking for the first time in a long time up in Lake Tahoe, which is Robert's home turf um and uh we we i wouldn't say we got lost but we got a little bit just in kind of like that half burnout state of like uh is this the right place to go like are we <laughs> gonna get there and um i pulled up just that level one of, of google maps just out of curiosity i didn't think it would even work and it like literally knew exactly where we were on the trail and it's just crazy how technology has evolved to where you can be like fairly in the middle of nowhere and google maps not only knows like you're your general area, but like has the entire trail and will show you where you are on the path to the destination. It's it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. So if yeah, I, I definitely want to check out all trails from my next hike uh, after this.
0: Yeah, and then um, next week, t- tune in next week, uh, Robert, to find out the Mind Exploding app that is in the same space. It's it's really good. It's one of my favorite apps. Cool.
1: I'll check it out. Awesome. Uh, I guess I'll go to mine now. So um, I'm trying to keep everything in theme this week. So I've got another blockchain tangential uh, gaming pick. So this is an app called Bitcoin Blast by a company called Bling Financial. Um, Curious, uh, Robert, are are you familiar with this company?
2: No, I have not heard of it. It's
1: it's a pretty different application. Um, It's much more casual in in many respects. So um, uh, Bling Financial, uh, Zander and I actually had a chance to talk with the founders of the company uh, a, a week or two ago. Really cool people. It's a small team down in Long Beach. Um, and they have a portfolio of, of pretty casual games. Um, I, I'm playing the the one that they have on iOS, which is Bitcoin Blast. But they have a bigger portfolio on Android, and basically it's very traditional, casual mobile games. Your match three, your line drawing mechanics, um, but uh, you win Bitcoin. And I was I was pretty skeptical of it. I haven't actually cashed out yet, but you know I played for a while. I drew some lines. I, I blasted some some uh, bubbles and uh, I checked my wallet and it's like I had like you know like four four satoshis or something um, but it's a really interesting model because I mean these game genres have been you know very well trodden to say the least um, but I found myself actually wanting to keep playing just because of the like if they were giving me like a penny I, I wouldn't care like I wouldn't want to keep playing you know but the fact that it's like this fraction of a fraction of a bitcoin it's like yeah but it's a bitcoin you know it's <laughs> like <laughs> And I know that that's stupid, um, and I know how worthless what I'm actually getting is. But it kept me engaged, and I think it's actually like a very um, smart play. And and you know, when we spoke to the founders, they said that their their audience is not really people that are deep into cryptocurrency. It's um, you know just like you know, your someone's aunt and uncle that are like, oh yeah, I heard about Bitcoin. You can win Bitcoin playing this app. So, yeah, cu- curious. Um, uh, Xander, have you, I know you, you, got to speak to the founders as well. Do you, do you have any thoughts on, on the app or the company? I haven't downloaded the app yet. Um,
0: it's an interesting company. I mean, they're basically arbitraging the value of Bitcoin against the value of ads that they're serving to their users. Uh, I mean, they seem to be doing super well. I mean, they got to be massive <laughs> without any UA. So, I mean. Kudos to them. I hope they I hope they
1: do well. Yeah, really strong um, ad monetization uh, in the app. That you you are watching a fair amount of of ads. So I think the math probably works out pretty cleanly. Um, you know that they're generating ad revenue at an expected rate, um, and effectively slicing off a portion of that for uh, their players. Um, Robert, do you have any thoughts on on that kind of business model?
2: Uh, we actually. Uh... You basically have thought about something similar although I'm not specifically with bitcoin um that's mm-hmm. an interesting application uh you know but when it comes to the the sort of like um the way in which we've always we've always thought about things in terms of this kind of like player versus player mentality that doesn't necessarily invalidate this sort of thing but i absolutely love seeing this sort of use case of um of gaming being brought to to sort of like a, not exactly, but sort of like a crypto layer, right? So it's, it's I've, I've seen kind of like the growth of this type of app and I'm and, and really interested to see kind of where these things go from here. I'm glad you got to speak with them. That sounds like a cool conversation.
1: Yeah, Definitely. for sure. I think we're all uh, interested to see how these disciplines overlap, um, crypto and uh, gaming and blockchain in general. And Robert, it's been really fascinating to get your perspective here today. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us.
0: Yeah, awesome. And um, Robert, is there anything you want to plug before we write, write out? Um,
2: uh, check us out, uh, Seller Network. You can Google us. Um, you know, Layer Two Finance is kind of in- interesting. It, it's not exactly what I touch. Come play Cash Clash games, um, win some money. There are actual, uh, you know, there are actual whales in the game that have actually generated a ton of money. So if you're good at any of these games, um, it, it can be actually pretty impactful. Um, but more broadly. Uh, Add me on LinkedIn. Say so, hey. I'll always glad to make more industry friends.
0: Awesome. Warren, do you want to take us out?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, today's uh, episode of App Talk is brought to you by the team at Uptick. So, here at Uptick, we provide automation tools and full stack growth marketing services for app developers. So, if you could use some help growing your app, definitely reach out to our team. Uh, the website is uptick.com. That's U P P T I C.com.
0: Awesome. Talk soon.